Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, a powerful South Carolina family implodes as its members are connected to fraud, calamity, obstruction, and a double homicide. We'll discuss the podcast Murdoch Murders. Plus, she began a religious-based diet program and grew her church into a Christian cult. We'll review the HBO Max series The Way Down. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast and the Undisclosed Addendum, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is... I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) You're my favorite, Kevin. Totally my favorite. Thank you. Crime writer. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate it. Also my favorite, Kevin. Thank you. Thumbs Thumbs up up for me. Thanks. I appreciate it. (laughs) <laughs> also with us is private it's just i'm just so happy that people are appreciating the things that i bring to you know the group it's like it were four <laughs> equal parts and um you know the love is great thanks everybody you, you no longer feel like the ringo or george harrison of the group anymore <laughs> no 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 you're, you're my favorite too kevin thanks toby there's so much yeah, no love problem. right now yeah actually <laughs> I'm sorry. I always just think of I always think of the first time listener every time some shit like this happens. Also with us is private because Ringo actually was a very important part of the Beatles too. He had a lot of personality. Yes, yellow submarine. Yes, of course. Yeah, yellow submarine is their best song. Everyone cute cute as a button. (laughs) Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the best-selling Dead on Deadline, Scooter Stunt Driver. Bricker. Hello, Laura. And our next leggings model, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. I only wish that my leggings had arrived in time for my scooter stunt for public access. Um, but maybe they'll be here next week for the finale, so you can only hope. And finally... Yep. You're my favorite crime writer, Laura. <laughs> Thanks, Toby. <laughs> this is off the rails. And finally, our captain Wait a minute. You just cynicism. said I was your favorite crime writer, Toby. <laughs> it, keeps, it keeps changing. Oh, my oh, God. Okay. This is devolving. This is devolving. <laughs> Finally, do are we even like qualified to give criticism tonight? Finally, our I am captain- so tired now. <laughs> 
Our captain. I need some time off. Yeah, pass me some mimosas. <laughs> our, <laughs> our, uh. our captain of woke cynicism, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast with iHeart, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Now, Kevin, um, there's something that you wanted to give a call back to tonight, something that I am wearing an homage to that is, of course, (laughs) our incredibly ugly crime writers on leggings that you designed in in honor of our Lula Rich uh, review. Yeah. And our uh, our son, Henry, said we missed the boat completely by not calling these Lara Rich. Yes. Lara Rowe. Lara Rowe leggings. And ever since we talked about people keep buying the leggings and I'm starting to feel a little embarrassed. Yes. I think we should have a leggings of the week where you design a new pair of incredibly ugly, ugly <laughs> leggings every week. And we, we've had some suggestions from listeners. Leggings with giant thumbs all over them is one yeah, suggestion. You know where the thumbs would end up getting like, stuck? Exactly. Yeah. Why yeah. not? I want some fuck Doug Evans loving leggings. Exactly. That was another oh. suggestion from listeners were fuck Doug Evans leggings. Fuck Doug Evans. And man. other suggestions well, were, were leggings that had a theme of each of the four of us. Like we each get a special pair. Toby's would be like giant Toby heads with like perhaps some like UFO imagery. There was like Laura with cats. Kevin with, I don't know, like sad frowny faces and not being a favorite. Kevin with a a baseball mitt because he's a big ump. Yes. Me Umps with don't wear mitts. Me with I don't Laura. know. Well, giant hair. Maybe a ch- big chest protector. A mask. <laughs> Kevin with a big chest. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. So Kevin, I think that's a challenge. I was thinking the big bobbleheads book like design would be a good one. I, okay. People want Listen, leggings. This is not a scam, guys. We make four. When you cents. say people, that's like a plural. So is that more than ten? It's come to feel like a challenge because the leggings. By the way, I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> I, they are incredibly soft. They're not like we don't make them. They're not made yeah. by some sad like you know. You don't know that. Don't don't make a promise we can't <laughs> we keep we about no labor. They're, they're, we have no idea. No, where but these they're, they're made come by from. Threadless, which is a reputable yeah. company that makes merch for a lot of things. And the leggings are very high quality. Yeah. I can attest. I've washed them like four you're times. You're wearing them. You're literally wearing them right now. They're soft, they're like my favorite pair of leggings. They're wonderful quality. They just happen to be hideous because Kevin designed them on purpose to be hideous and they've become like a challenge. Wait, wait, wait. I did not actually design them on purpose to be hideous. But they are in fact hideous. Well, now I see them on people's legs. <laughs> yeah. They like, look like, they look like you know how when you see um, at the Olympics like ski racers that have like the leggings that have like sponsorships all over them that like have to look that way because like they're sponsored by like Saab and Budweiser mm-hmm. and whatever, and it's everywhere. They look like that, except it's just our logo in many sizes, some of which are blurry. Um, they're real bad, but they're great. Plus, we don't pay you to wear them. Exactly. You pay us. <laughs> no, you pay us. <laughs> no, you pay Threadless, and we get four cents. We're not making any money off these well, guys. We're making no money. I have an idea. I'm having an idea. Kevin, when are you doing the high heel challenge again? I didn't do it this year. No, he couldn't do oh, it. We had, I was we had another donate, commitment. Yeah. We had another commitment. We just donated some money. Yeah. Okay. Well, next time you do it, you need to wear the leggings with the red pumps. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, I could do that. Yeah. Not a bad idea. Yeah, I could fit my tush in one of those. Anyway, mm-hmm. if you are a listener in your game, and if you order a pair of these hideous leggings, we'd love to see a picture of you in them. And if you have an idea... For leggings of the week design, we'd love to know your idea. Send us an email at crimewritersona at gmail.com or tweet to us. I think it's an amazing idea. Um, I'm a fan, and um, I just want to see leggings with Toby's face all over them. That's a that's an idea that I have. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who wouldn't want to see that? Exactly. 
And then when my leggings are the uh, least sold, I'm going to be all depressed again. <laughs> You're complex. <laughs> You're, you, so you, Kevin, I have an idea. Kevin's circle beard leggings. Just like circle beards all yeah, You know where those circle beards end up <laughs> showing up. Uh, well, at least his hair is cut now. That's right. It's perfect. Call it the Brazilian. All right. Should we go ahead and do our first review? Well, for fuck's sake, let's do it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> let's get it done. Leading off. She was so charismatic. And the joy on Gwen's face when she would talk about the Lord. And when Gwen would talk about just her relationship with God. There was so much joy there that you wanted what she had. Gwen Shamlin earned fame and fortune with a diet program heavy on religious devotion. The Way Down Method encouraged followers to give their hunger pains to God, with weight loss results being indicative of one's level of piety. God revealed to me that this was the true deliverance and that the key to permanent weight control is a matter of the heart. But when her religious dogma veered away from traditional theology and her remnant fellowship church was shunned by mainstream Christianity, Shamlin's church took on the trappings of a cult with her and her family at the center. It's all smoke and mirrors. This is not about theology at all. That's all a sideshow. It's about money, prestige, power. The Way Down, God, Greed, and the Cult of Gwen Shamblin from HBO Max looks at Shamblin's rise and tragic fall and probes the accusations of physical and emotional abuse within the Remnant Fellowship. Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for The Way Down, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. All right, so Kevin... The uh, documentary starts with a plane crash, Mm -hmm. which, as we find out in the timeline, spoiler alert, happens very late into the making of this documentary. Yeah. So just think about that. uh, Knowing what we know now, it is a very dramatic way to start the documentary. So can you just talk about that at first? Yeah, well, I mean, it ends up creating a lot of tension and urgency for the documentary because they don't say who's involved in the plane crash. We know it's multiple people. So even though one may suspect that it's Gwen or another high or other high leaders, there are other people there. So you don't know who that might be. And then, for example, we meet this family where there's a father and a mother who are talking about their young daughter who has sort of fallen in love with somebody in the church and is getting sort of pulled away. So I end up fearing for that family, yeah, right? Yeah. In the end, the, the documentarians didn't do anything dishonest. They didn't pull a fast one on anybody by like making you think someone's dead when they aren't or vice versa. But the plane crash just naturally infuses this sense of drama around what is happening in the fellowship. And this is even before we get to learn anything about them. Right. But Toby, to my original point, you realize at the end... <laughs> That they were making this film because this plane crash, like, it just happened. Yeah. And so it wasn't like they started making this film in June. They'd been making this for like a couple of years. And the central person that they were looking into in this died. (laughs) So when you finish this, and I hate to jump to the end because there's a lot here that we are going to talk about. But, I mean, I can't stop thinking about this when I think about this film. There's two things, many things that I can't stop thinking about. But, like, that just is something that I that I can't, just in from terms of a filmmaking perspective. So can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, sure. I mean, I think it's hard 
not to watch it and think like, what were they, you know, just one day they got the news that this project that they've been working on for, I assume, at least a couple of years, the subject has, has died in a plane crash. So it must have been like one of those oh fuck moments. Or a yeah fuck moment. It's interesting because it's, while I was watching it, I was like, okay, I wonder what they had to do to go back and change things. And it doesn't really seem like they did <laughs> very much at all. There's they- a little bit at the very end where they show that the daughter has kind of taken over. Yeah. And I guess they talk a little bit in the middle about how, despite the fact that the son was older, that it looked like the daughter was going to be the one who took it over eventually because he was sort of not 100% in the fold, I guess. But other than that, I mean, it it seems like it, it plays out the way it would have played out if that plane crash hadn't happened, except for the very beginning and the very end. The rest of it just seems like it's not like they diminish her role in everything, or there's some kind of like going at her with kid gloves because she's passed away. I mean, it, it, it remains just like a very harsh indictment of her and the church and, and, and everything that sort of surrounds her. I mean, it seemed to me like I was imagining that what it would have, I mean, it, it still is. I mean, I feel like also the daughter stuff was probably made more of a focus because of the plane crash, because of the way that it ends is like so unbelievable three weeks later. We see this daughter who's basically become a skeleton, like a shell of her former self, taking over the church like three weeks after her mother dies in this plane crash, which is so awful and creepy and terrible. But I thought before, like I was imagining that it was more of like a Scientology story because we have this family who's like they have a daughter that's in it. I don't know if you guys thought this, but the first like episode and a half, I was like, oh, Delaney's dead. Like she's got to be dead, right? Because they're talking about her like in the past tense, basically. But then we have this wedding scene like filmed by HBO, apparently, like in the present tense. It was surreal that the wedding went ahead. Uh, in light of the the tragedy that had just happened earlier that morning. The information that we know at this time is that a small jet left Smyrna Airport just around 11 o'clock this morning heading to Palm Beach International. And we have all these people like the woman fighting to get her daughter back from Gwen and her super fucking creepy Fabio husband, Joe. Like it felt very much like like it was going to be a Scientology thing, like fighting to get people out. That, that seemed like it was going to be what it was about, like juxtaposed with the story of this child abuse thing. And then like that was going to be the main thing. And it still was like, I agree with you. Laura, what do you think about that? Like just the, the sort of shifting focus kind of thing, because the, the plane crash had to have like mixed this whole thing up. Right. Yeah. Well, when I first was kind of looking at this, I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I had to remind myself, OK, they were actually filming this prior to this plane crash happening, not as a reaction to this plane crash happening. And, you know, we've all had crazy stories where we're reporting something or in the middle of something and it completely shifts direction. But in this case, I mean, I I did feel like though, Rebecca, back to this like shift in focus when you're saying you don't feel like it's like a Scientology thing. I did feel like it was a Scientology thing. It totally is. Yeah. Like I totally felt like it was like Scientology Nashville style. Yeah. Like, where's the, like, pedal cab with all the people yelling, mm-hmm. when, when they drive by, <laughs> ding, 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 down around the church. But, I mean, there is a certain irony to that daughter then coming in and taking over three weeks after. And, like, you're thinking, my God, she looks horrible. She's skinny as a rail. But if she's following their doctrine, she's not even supposed to grieve all these people that died. So, like, big whoop that she's taking over three weeks later. You know what I mean? It's, it's just... 
that whole part of the way that they were like taught to like not grieve and um, carry on like smiley faces no matter what. I, I found that really putting put to the test when like pretty much all of them get killed in that plane crash, you know? Yeah, you know, so a lot of times things happen during the course of the news gathering or the the production that does change things. I'm thinking about the Aaron Hernandez documentary where he killed himself in the middle of it. We've got this, the Murdoch murders, which we're going to be talking about. That takes a strange twist in real time no as well. shit, like between episodes. Yeah, but I do believe there are probably people that came forward and felt more comfortable talking after Gwen was dead. Probably. I mean, we certainly have some very outspoken former church members in this documentary. And Kevin, you certainly have some characters that you fell in love with, some real people that you fell in love with in the documentary who, like, were just like, this fucking bullshit, what they did here, what they put me through. You, like, learned some expressions that you are now using in our regular life. Oh, Oh. my God. (laughs) From that guy? What's his name? Bob Beebe? The rancher? Yeah, I love that guy. (laughs) There was also uh, one former member who was, like, miss me with that shit. Yes, that's (laughs) your favorite. Yeah, miss me with that. Yep, yep. So we have a lot. We have a lot going on. And I just kept thinking, especially with this diet stuff, when are we going to see Oprah in this documentary? Like, she was missing. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you think she was going to show up at any moment? Like, we're going to have the Oprah clip? Because we saw that Gwen showed up on all these other national news programs. Like, she was taken seriously in the early part of this because there was this whole business around religion and weight loss, which, by the way, does not surprise me in any way because weight loss is a huge industry. And as we know, evangelical stuff is a huge industry. So it doesn't surprise me there's crossover there. But like she was mainstreaming it for quite a while. So didn't you feel like Oprah was going to pop up at any moment? Uh, yeah, I'm surprised she missed it. Might not be new agey enough. It's pretty yeah. old school. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird juxtaposition, right? Because it is... You know, the whole weight thing is such a is such a surface aspect of people where I think religion is supposed to be, you know, feeding a sort of deeper need or whatever. And so it's it's a weird juxtaposition. I was a little surprised that they didn't spend a little more time kind of trying to tie it all to other stuff that was going on at the time. Because I do, I do think that was, you know, it was around that time that the whole idea about what's the effect of this ideal of like this overly thin female body type being sort of put up there as as what should be attainable to people and what the effect that that was having on girls and women was. I mean, I might be misremembering, but it seems like that was sort of the 80s and 90s. So that at the same time, that's, that's kind of going on. You've got this. Gwen herself becomes skeletal. I mean, she really looks unhealthy. And her daughter... I mean, I think to me, like one of the most sort of shocking and haunting things about this entire documentary is the transformation of her after her child dies and she's not allowed to grieve it because that would sort of be acknowledging that God isn't like blessing their family. And, you know, there's this whole other witch hunt aspect to it. But she suddenly turns into like this very... I mean, it's she looks like a wraith. I mean, she's she's just so thin and hollowed out, and I just assume some of it's makeup, but she looks really bad. Trust yeah. me, Toby, she would look worse without makeup. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's entire that's entirely true. But I, she just she looks haunted, and and I'm sure she was. Yeah. Um, and so she anyway. looks unwell. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's and, not that's not a being chauvinistic or anything. She just no, not no, no, look no, healthy. No. Yeah. No. Her brother doesn't look that great at times too, no. but I, I think for different reasons. Yeah. Um, 
Can the anyway. women talk about her hair just because the guys really well, Gwen's can't? Hair? Yeah. Gwen's hair? Well, yeah. So well, let's it's just something. There's actually a lot to talk about here that like women can talk about that men can't talk about. Yeah. It has to do with just stuff that we understand that you don't. Okay. So let's just get into it, Lara. So we'll talk about the hair in a second. <laughs> the one thing that Toby just mentioned about body stuff, I do think that Lara, you and I and every woman listening to this understand that mm-hmm. despite the kind of healthy place that I think you and I are both at, like I am 47 years old, I know you're younger than I am, mm-hmm. everybody, most women have been through a point in their life where you would fucking do anything to be like the mm-hmm. weight that you think you're supposed to be. So even I can relate to not the cult religion part, but the idea of like, yeah, I'll try this. I'll try this. I'll try this. Mm-hmm. I'll try this. At some point in my life, I've tried something that I didn't think I was going to try. I mean... For me, it was in my 30s, like an extreme weight uh, lifting thing with like, quote, clean eating, which I know a lot of people do and they think it's great. For me, it turned into like a very unhealthy, obsessive thing where I looked amazing, but it was totally unsustainable and I killed my metabolism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But this is that for a lot of Mm -hmm. people. So I do get like if you try something and it works But it's also attached to a fucking weird religious thing. Like, sure. And it's also attached to being submissive to your husband. But I also have lost 20 pounds. All right. But it's also attached to maybe like my kids are supposed to shut up. But I went out a size six. Now that I don't get. But I do kind of like those neural connections because thinness is so valued. What's the submissive to your husband part? No. But Laura, but Laura, but nice try, Kevin, nice try. That path, you know, that path, what what was the expression that Weight Watchers used? Nothing tastes as good as thin feels. Like that was the thing, like in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, that thin feels better than anything could taste or anything else could be. And that was the promise of this. So, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying I get it. I'm not saying I agree with it. But I, the path is something that I relate to in a weird way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you're saying you're not joining the diet, weight loss, religious cult. But, but yeah, I no, don't I blame get, no. the women who did. Because I all I did join the weird fucking gym cult where I where I ate nothing but like broccoli and chicken and had one cheat day a week because that was like also yeah, really no, unhealthy in and, its own and way. No, I can totally relate to this because, you know, we all go through different stages. And I remember, you know, I'm in my like mid to late 30s and you look around at all your parent friends and you're like, okay. So either people are going on these crazy like keto diets, running 5Ks, doing the Tough Mudders, doing all that stuff, or they're like doing there's like there's like no in between right. that's healthy. And so you're either like caught up in the cult of whatever your friend gets you roped into in terms of, you know, whatever diet they've got on or like I even did this whole thing at this women's gym when I turned 40 and it was like you know, you had to like weigh in every week and it was like the biggest loser. And and I got so I, I can see how you get sucked in. But it's like. But remember, remember that in this neighborhood, they lay it out at the beginning. There's a church on every corner. So the church part is normal. And that I have to say, can we just talk about that neighborhood? Because I think for me, that was one of those super fascinating. I don't know if any of you ever watched that show City Confidential with that guy with that great voice. Yes. Was like, you know. Exeter, New Hampshire, and then he'd go on. <laughs> it was a quiet town, or was it? And and so, like, I felt like when we're seeing this town with these like mega churches, and they're in this like I can't remember what they call it. Was it like the Brentwood bubble or whatever it was, where they're in this like basically bubble with just all these huge mansions? 
no real connection to the outside world because they've got this sort of strange reality. I mean, you can kind of see how this happens in a way because you're already like one step removed from reality when you're living in this bubble, you know? So it seems like not that much of a stretch to go one more step. And then pretty soon you're like, oh shit, I think I'm in a cult. Like, oops. (laughs) Yeah. But by that point, your kids are there and you can't leave because they'll take your kids. So you're like, well, guess I'll just, you know, so it's, it's really the hold that they had on people once they got you into that was really something. Okay. Part two, no one around this woman could tell her that her hair looked like shit. Yeah, because by the, the way, like I'm not saying but someone can criticize me on Twitter because I tweeted that. But literally in the documentary, they say no one around her could tell her her hair looked like shit. No one. There were, everyone knew her hair looked like shit, but no one could tell her her hair looked like shit. Did she always have that hair? No. <laughs> it's gotten taller every year she's been there. <laughs> no one's going to say anything to her. Everybody's going to tell her it looks wonderful. <laughs> How do you think that I, I like? First of all, how do you even do that? Teasing hair is come on, it's really? teasing. Yeah, really? Oh, come my, on. See, yeah. my hair won't do that. My hair's super fine, so it would stay like that for like probably twenty I minutes, do it. and it would just I collapse. can do it. You know what? I'm gonna do because you're not week. Pr- you're not praying hard enough. How about Halloween, Rebecca? This year we should do our hair like that. No, that's disrespectful. She's dead. Okay, so uh, <laughs> oh, I forgot about. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Toby's like, I'll do it. <laughs> let's move along. So, Kevin, uh, let's talk about Flynn's law. Go. Yeah, I'm just going to call it Flynn's Law. It's that the greater the cult, the more video documentation they have of themselves for the eventual documentary. <laughs> and here we got another one. I think they have like their own production facility. Yep. Which is great if you would someday like to get grifted by Tarzan. Yeah. Was he grifting or were they, were they using each other? Well, is that the same thing? I Look, I don't know, really. I just go in on what people said. I thought it was odd that this guy who had been sort of playing a part, bouncing around, all of a sudden finds religion when he finds uh, a rich woman with, you know, all the trappings of attention and and fame and fortune. I guess I'm just saying I think Joe was probably a gold digger. I'm looking at your notes. Oh, wait, I want to set this. I have a question. Which music video do you like better, Joe Exotic or... This dude who's married to the lady with the hair. The soul of my father is alive inside of me. Who does it better? Oh, this dude. Oh, I would. This dude. I am just going to. <laughs> I'm just going to give my admiration up to God mm. and to say, miss me with that. I'm just going to say Kevin's notes. You can give your hunger pains to God. Miss me with that bullshit. She married Tarzan. Miss me with that. <laughs> they have a guy named David Anger who wants it pronounced David Anjay. Miss me with that. <laughs> Every all of Kevin's notes. Um, so, Toby, I'm going to actually bounce Kevin's one of Kevin's notes off of you because there is this temptation because a lot of uh, cults that we look at are run by men. And then there's like a woman second in command who actually makes it possible for the man to be the top because like the woman second in command, like makes the man seem legit by being like the feminist supporter that the women, all the women trust that then the men can abuse. Here we have a cult where there's a woman at the top, which is kind of rare in this space. And you are our resident cult expert. Uh, Part of me, feminist, wants to be like, yay, 
But I'm not like that at all, (laughs) obviously, (laughs) because this cult is very anti-feminist in many ways. Can you just talk a little bit about like through your lens of expertise in cults? Because I think established in this podcast, you are. You do have some expertise in like cult dynamics. Why it's even in some ways, I don't want to say more messed up, but but why like having a woman at the pinnacle of this is just like, I don't know, it is what it is. But can you just talk about that? Because I had feelings about that, that I, I can't quite wrap my head around. Yeah, well, it's complicated because sort of officially, she's not even the head of it, right? There's like four men who supposedly are like the church elders and that she's below them. But in actuality, the way it really functions is that she's in charge It just doesn't look like that way on the org chart. It's weird because it is, it's as blatantly misogynistic, as patriarchal as any cult that I think we've seen so far, with the only exception being Gwen. But she wants, and she could, they talk about how she comes from, I think, the Church of Christ and how when she was coming up in it, I don't know if it's changed now, it sounded like maybe it changed some, but that women weren't allowed to talk or pray in church or publicly, I guess. So it was extremely, extremely conservative. So she comes from that background. But this whole thing was about pleasing the husband. And, you know, those were the sort of the, the edicts that she gave to the women was that that's your role. Just like Lulu Rowe. Yeah, it was actually very similar to the Lula Rowe kind of mind uh, oh, yeah. thing at that time. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I thought the other sort of ironic thing was in this one, again, it, it's kind of like it's not this, this sort of sexual abuse stuff that you often see from male cult leaders, but she does. I mean, she trades in her husband for like a strapping, age appropriate kind of stud. And, uh, is just kind of parading him around, you know? It was so weird, though, because, like, we didn't really even know about the husband, who, you know, but then we're seeing this other guy, like, Fabio, everywhere. You know why you didn't know about him? Because he was fat. He was in the yeah, closet. And, and it was so, I was like, man, this is, I mean, that was where I just felt like it took a really sharp turn. And then he was also, like, he'd actually studied and gotten his whatever divinity degree. Religious. And was just like, uh, you know... I'm not 100% into what's going on here. So you would stop showing up. But um, it sounds like that if she had not changed the dogma of the church, if she didn't reject the Trinity, that she could have continued this way down business with evangelical churches forever. Yeah. It's like it was it was self-inflicted. And that's how you become now that you're cut off and insular. You actually become insular and everybody is inside now. It is a cult. That's what called a cult. You know what really surprised me? You know what really surprised me, which also made them seem more cult-like? So they had this um, child death and there's all this like child abuse allegation stuff, which is horrible. And in a lot of these cult stories, as soon as something like this happens, the church or the cult immediately distances themselves from it, right? They're like, whoa, 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 we don't know these people. We're not, that's, they didn't do that. They like showed up in court. They supported this family. They were like, no, that, no, we're on. And they did not in any way differentiate their teachings from what these parents did to this kid that led to his death. That completely shocked me because I feel like we see over and over again that as soon as one of these very blatant teaching goes awry and like a child is hurt or a person dies, that that's when the cult just pretends like it didn't happen. And that's not what happened here. Laura, did you pick up on that, too? 
Yeah. So, I mean, that was like, again, the logic here. So you see, you know, you've got this family that has this horrible abuse case and they have like the weight of the church behind them with like the lawyers and everybody defending them. And then on the flip side, by contrast, then you have this poor woman who tries to leave, who has herself as her own lawyer against all of those church lawyers. So they're willing to speak out also and defend again this family. But then you have the poor daughter of Gwen and nobody says like boo to her after her child dies. So it's like there's no rhyme or, you know, it's just it's so off from it's so skewed from what it should be. I think it's like, what, what's the authority, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think cults in general, and, and this cult pretty specifically, doesn't acknowledge sort of secular authority, right? They, they live by God's law, and they right. do talk about how they kind of try and stay away from society at large. So I do see, like, when these things happen, quote unquote, naturally, or, or that aren't coming from government or society in general, like, that is seen as like a judgment from God and should be sort of handled accordingly as, as a higher power. When something's coming from the state or the cops or something, it's like, look, you're, you're not the power who we like acquiesce to. We're a different situation. So regardless of whether what's right or wrong, this is the kind of thing that, you know, you're sort of attacking our belief system and our congregation as a whole when you try to assert power over one of our people. Yeah, so when a child dies after being stuffed in a box... We can handle that, but like, don't tell us that that we can't handle that kind of thing. Kevin, just one quick question. Mm-hmm. You and I both groaned out loud when the woman who was the mother of Joe's child decided to represent herself in that custody suit. <laughs> yes. We're like, no, don't do that. No. Apparently, she was a fucking great she lawyer great. for herself. She put her mind to it. And she got it on tape that Joe made up that sexual abuse allegation that her uh, the other lawyer for Joe. Yeah admitted that he was willing to pull it back, which means it was made up. I have to say, I was very uncomfortable initially with her assertions on camera about all of her custody stuff because it felt like very real time and it felt very, you know, I know that the kids' images weren't used, but it also mm-hmm. felt it felt strange for the parental thing to be used in real time. Granted, she's right. I'm not saying she's wrong to do it, but it also felt, I don't know, it, it just felt weird, but she's good, right? And she was right. Yeah, she was right. And she did a great job and... Uh... I suppose the case has resolved itself because of tragedy, but um, I think it was important to the story because it just was another example of how far that church would go to the, you know, the lengths to which they would reach and the money they would spend in order to maintain a certain kind of image and to please the, uh, the head of the church. I can't believe that Gwen would want Joe's daughter to live with her. I mean, I just, I, anyway. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Way Down, God, Greed, and the Cult of Gwen Shamblin on HBO Max? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this three-part documentary on HBO Max? Um, I'm going to go thumbs up. Uh, just honestly, I sat down to start watching the first episode, and the next thing I know, I had watched the entire thing, and it was like 11 o'clock because... I just couldn't believe the world inside this church, inside this weight loss cult, the people, the hair, the music videos, but also just the terrifying nature of this cult, which was basically like the Nashville Scientology. Um, It was it was fascinating. So I would say give it a watch. Toby Ball. Yeah, you know, I kind of felt like it was like missing some mortar or something like there's a lot of weird 
stuff and a lot of things that it exposes about the remnant church. But there's nothing that really ties them together. Like, you don't really get a sense of, like, how does this all tie together? How does, like, denying the Trinity and the child abuse and the weight loss, like, what does this all mean? It just sort of seems like these random, sort of distasteful and downright horrible things that goes on here, but they don't really have any theory or sense of what kind of ties it all together. So, you know, I'm not going to give it a thumbs down. I'll give it kind of a an okay thumbs up, but it just seemed like there needed to be something more than just sort of check this out. This is horrible. Check this out. This is horrible. Check this out. This is kind of weird. Check this out. This is horrible. I needed something a little Mm -hmm. bit more to kind of tie it together and make me understand what was going on. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I was going to talk kind of about what Toby talked about with with a cult documentary and like a uh, wrongful conviction or unsolved homicide cold case thing. All you really have to do to tell the story is a lot of get a load of this and isn't this weird? And it does that. So if you have a uh, a cult shaped hunger in your stomach and you need to fill it, give it up to God. No, if you if you if if you want to watch a cult thing, this is good. It's 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 absolutely uh, suitable. It's a mild thumbs up for me. Nothing wrong with it. But right, it doesn't reveal any greater truths, but it does expose a you know a weird church. Yeah, you guys are right. Like this documentary could have been like great. I don't know. Do you guys feel that way? Like it could have been great. Like there's a lot of stuff here. It could have been great. Like it was good. That's some great elements. Could yeah. have been great. Like I was. I had so many moments where I was like, holy shit! Like it could have been great, and it did. It just it lacked a very strong narrative structure like if it had had just like a very strong point of view a very strong narrative structure like a jinx style like hot damn like narrative structure it could have been great it was good like i'm giving it a thumbs up like i really enjoyed watching it but it could have been great so yeah thumbs up for me not a huge thumbs up but thumbs up the weight loss stuff like i hate to say that the weight loss stuff was just better done than the child abuse stuff because the child abuse stuff should have like really led the thing because that's worse and it's probably like the lead but it was kind of buried um but the weight loss stuff was the way in and that was kind of what made this thing big and they just did a better job with it so yeah i mean i'm giving the thing a thumbs up it was good not great but yeah good enough thumbs up for me for the way down Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.
Kevin, here we are in the business section of this podcast. What have we got going on on our Patreon right now? Uh, Well, we have the new Crime Writers on After Show, and uh, we're going to be talking a little more about the Murdoch murder. Excuse me, Murdoch murders. Yes, and we're going to be talking only because I mean we're about to do that in the show. Yes, but we feel like there's probably going to be so much more that we want to touch on. So yeah, can I just expand on that? Yeah, because a lot about sort of like the style of the podcast, and we're not going to we're going to talk about the case a lot in our review, right? Mm -hmm. A little bit about the style of the podcast, but we're not going to get like super in the weeds in the style of the podcast. But I have questions. Okay. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the after show. And what else are we going to be talking about in the after show? Uh, We're going to talk about the season finale of Murder in Alliance. Uh, This started off uh, as a Maggie Freeling podcast looking at perhaps a wrongful conviction. And throughout the course of her investigation, she came to a completely different conclusion at the end. Yeah. Which is very different from what we see a lot of times in podcasts. And so we want to talk a little more about how does one get there and what, you know, what does one do? If what they would we think, do? What would you do if the person you set off to uh, try to exonerate, you had doubts about their innocence? What if he did it? Well, I don't know. I would just say maybe he did it. All right. Maybe he did it. <laughs> what else have we got going on our Patreon, Kevin? We're going to have a new episode out of Leave it to Bricker. Yes. Laura is taking Enough. a look at the secret tunnels of Exeter. Ooh, that's what she said. The secret that tunnel. Is, yes, secret tunnels. Barbara at the Historical Society and I are all over this. We're looking for maps of secret tunnels. She's like, I know a man brought us a map. We have to find the map. And then we're going to see if we can get in. Yeah, Laura's That's look- what she said. <laughs> Laura's looking for a way in the dark tunnel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is Halloween. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is Halloween. The Deep Dive Book Club, the new uh, episode to be recorded next week. The book is called... Beast in View, and uh, folks can take part in the book club live on Patreon if you are supporting us at the Crime Writers on Nation level. You can watch the recording with Toby and his two special guests. You've got, what, Alex Segura? Correct. And Kimberly from Day with Dateline. Exactly right. Yeah. And this is actually a, a switch up because usually, Toby, you're doing a nonfiction true crime book. You're doing, uh, this is your first foray, I think, into fiction here, right? Yeah, we're doing, uh, for the fall, I just thought I'd just throw a little curveball, do uh, three fiction books. So we've got this. Uh, we've got My Sister is a Serial Killer, uh, which is a Nigerian sort of thriller. I think it's slightly comic. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but that's my impression. And then, and then Rebecca's doing a little dance because we're doing the new um, Anthony Horwitz book, Ooh. which is called Rebecca. I don't know. What's it called? It's called like A Line to Murder or it's something. It's the third I don't know. in the trilogy, you know, right? It's the third it's a, in the It's series. another one of those clever titles, but it's the third in the line of books where Anthony Horwitz is actually sort of the Watson to uh what's the guys what's the lead guy's name you what you haven't read them toby i've listened to them hey, both i don't remember we, the guy's we've, name we've already set up that he's doing that later on yes it's later okay yeah. but the, aren't they they're adapting one of those anthony horowitz books into it's the other one like, it's the other one it's the uh ma- the magpie and who's adapting murders. it now it's going to be on the um i believe it's going to be on either bbc or it's going to be on the uh, pbs thingies but i'm so fucking excited about it masterpiece yeah it's like the magpie murders series which is wonderful it's i'm sorry this is the most he's like the most prolific writer i have no idea how he writes all the books that he writes he's unbelievable and he's super nice on twitter by the way he's my favorite writer yeah go ahead kevin are you done yes toby are you done (laughs) i'm so excited to talk about anthony uh, horowitz 
<laughs> I'm done. I've had okay. enough dark tunnels for one night. Kevin, I'm, ju- uh, I'm just saying it's my business section. Before you wrap up at the business section, do we have any Patreon patrons? I'm not done. Oh, what the- else? For fuck's sake, Rebecca. What other business do we have? Well, it's right in front of you. I just want to let people know if you're Keep on- Keep doing your business. Keep doing one last thing. With Halloween coming up, Patreon is doing a special. Whether you support us on Patreon or somebody else on Patreon. Many of the true crime creators on Patreon are taking part in a Halloween trick or treat special, and you'll be able to access content from all of those participating, including crime writers on, and either have uh, a trick, maybe it's something that's like outtakes or something scary, or a treat, which might also be something scary. So for us here at Crime Writers On, what we're going to have is a radio play. Mm. This is a recording that I did with the group that I formed many years ago called the New Hampshire Radio Theater. And this is going to be a recording of us doing a live rendition of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Wow. Ooh. Starring Kevin Flynn as Ichabod <gasps> Crane. Young Kevin what? Flynn. Oh my gosh. Yes. Young Kevin Flynn. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, oh I, do, I do a voice that is pretty bad, I think. Bad acting. Really? So you just have to, you know. I think I go. I forget how I do it, but Are I'm you trying like to. Peter Brady as Ichabod Crane. Yeah, Ichabod Crane is supposed to be kind of, <laughs> you know, gangly and weak, and wow. I don't know what I was thinking. So. Oh, From the vaults. From the vaults. So that's a special to all of our Patreon friends. You get a chance to to Are sample you some it's other a real stuff. Boner shrinker. Yeah, you will. You will not. <laughs> Rebecca. Easy. I, I thought we were done talking about the dark tunnels. That's what you call a real headless horseman. <laughs> uh, there we go. Thank you. you. <laughs> Kevin, oh before we end the business segment, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Jen Leach and Mary Klein. Bless you. Bless you guys. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. And thus ends the business, the business section. section. Moving on. I don't know who killed Paul Murdoch. I don't know who killed Maggie Murdoch. I can't say who killed Stephen Smith. I don't know who, if anyone, killed Gloria Satterfield. But I think I know who killed Mallory Beach. They were a powerful family who controlled the legal community in South Carolina's low country. But after the double slaying of two of its members, new scrutiny was paid to the Murdoch's past involvement in a series of deaths, including the trip and fall of a housekeeper, a fatal boating accident, and the unsolved death of a classmate originally classified as a hit and run. At no point does anyone in any of these reports mention the possibility that he was beaten to death or struck by an object like a baseball bat, and then they would search for evidence for such things. Host Mandy Matney continually uncovered new indications of embezzlement, insurance fraud, malpractice, and obstruction of justice. Then an unexpected twist in real time threw the story into confusion. But then yesterday, my news outlet, Fitznews.com, broke a huge story in this saga. Alec Murdoch was shot on a rural road in Hampton County, South Carolina. Murdoch Murders is a unique example of an amateur podcast produced by a professional journalist. 
Matinee's reporting leads the way on the complicated and sensational case. But does the production's rookie mistakes create an insurmountable barrier for the listener? Now, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Murdoch Murders. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So a couple of things, Kevin, that I want to get out of the way. Yeah. One, there was news that broke right before we started recording this podcast about this case. Means there'll probably be a new episode out very soon, if not already. Yes, there will. And that is that Alec Murdoch has been charged in a couple of the big crimes that Mandy Matney actually outlined in the Murdoch Murders Mm -hmm. podcast. Second, we do have to talk about, just get it out way up front, that we talk about production and quality and tracking and mixing and amateur versus professional and sound design and all that stuff a lot and levels in this podcast a lot. Well, no, we've never had to talk about amateur versus professional. We have. No, we've never had an amateur. By by amateur, I mean... Actually amateur. By literally one person with no resources, no backing, doing it from their kitchen table. Right. Which is fine. If this were Wondery, we would shit on this all day long for the production and style mistakes and whatnot. That being said... That being said... This is not 2014, and there are aspects of this podcast that make me feel like I'm listening to a podcast in 2014. That being said, so let's just get it on the table. This podcast sounds like we were talking about a podcast made in 2014 in many ways. Mm -hmm. It's as if the makers have not in many ways. And by the way, I I suspect that Mandy might listen to this review only because I know that they are media conscious folks who read their reviews. And we have many things to say. I've read your notes about this podcast and I will tell you straight up front, there are many things I love about this podcast. I'm just going to say it right now. Uh But I just want to get it out of the way because I know people are saying it. This podcast sounds terrible in many, many ways. Let's just get it out front. The production values Mm -hmm. are very poor. There are some times where there's tape in this podcast that's only in the right channel. Oh my God. So if you're listening on your left headphone only, which many people do, you cannot hear the podcast at all. Or if you're like me in the car, you keep leaning over to the passenger side because you couldn't... It's impossible. Right. Yes. It's like you're trolling us. Yes. Well, you fucking smiling like you're fucking funny. There, there are breaths that they're completely cut out. There are parts where there's retracking happening in the middle of sentences. There are, I don't care about dogs barking. That's bullshit. And Mandy, by the way, vocal fry is a bullshit complaint. It doesn't exist. Agreed. No one cares about the way you talk. And if they do, do not fucking listen to them. That doesn't matter. Oh, and by the way, never say someone lights up a room. Just don't write that. Anyway, um, so it's cliche, we're just yeah. going to put all that aside because we know yeah. that that's true. So that is not going to be the substance of what we're going to talk about. Can we all just agree? Other than I will give credit to her fiance yes. for like just going for it and doing it. Yes. Even though like having spent time doing it. It's a pain. Yes. You know? yeah. it, it takes a lot of time. Yes. Um. So. But. Does it he also not do, he sound do, like... He didn't do a great job, but I, I give him credit for give, giving it a shot. <laughs> but does it also sound like they haven't actually listened to a podcast before sometimes? They, they've never listened to a podcast, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And also maybe the Twitter thing. But anyway, okay. So let's put all of that aside. We're not talking about that. We are talking about the substance and the reporting of the podcast, and we're talking about the case, because that is why we are here. Uh, but one more yes. thing, though, before we... Because you're right. But, because it's not insignificant. When you have unresourced journalism, the journalism suffers because the presentation is part of the journalism. True. And that's different from her news gathering, because her news gathering is very good. It's excellent. Right. And she's just saying it. It's just me at the kitchen table, and 
So we're going to grade on a scale here. But the news gathering is very good. If there were an editor there, I might say, hey, maybe not so much with complaining about shit in the podcast. Oh, take it out. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like. Don't talk about the reviews. Don't talk about the reviews. Fine. You know, you don't have to. Be- uh, we know you have a fiance. We have your fiance. <laughs> You want to take a swipe at your soulless corporate former employer? It's like, you don't need to work shit out. But do, by the way, talk about your fiance's charity events, because I fucking love that shit. That was was great. And maybe maybe a little less editorializing about what doesn't look good, and so we don't need that. Yeah. But the reason why we're even talking about this at all is because... The story that she's put together is so compelling. And she knows more about it than anyone. Look, it overcomes all of this. Right. It overcomes all of this garbage. This is the best bad podcast I've ever heard. Right. But can we talk about the things that we love? Well, I still yell at things while I'm walking down the street. But yes, we can talk about things we love. Like, I can relate to when you are that local journalist and you have been following a story like she has for as long as she has been following it. She's basically what she's doing is she's just like sitting down at her kitchen table and she is just basically like, I I don't want this to sound, it sounds the wrong way when I describe it, but like vomiting out all the information and all the reporting that she has done. And so honestly, for me, the reason that that does work is because this case is so freaking bonkers. Like my friend has been sending me like, I know y'all love the Daily Mail, all the stories Everything. My other friend's been sending me the New York Times. My minister and I talk about this at breakfast when we go out. Everybody wants to know every detail of this case. So when she just like throws everything out at the wall that she's gotten, including listening to like an entire 911 call, it gives me the opportunity as the person that's listening to sort of draw my own conclusions about the people involved with this because I'm listening to all the raw material that she's listening to because it's not really edited. It's just like, Here's all the material. We're going to throw it in there. But that gives us the opportunity to listen to everything that's out there. Yeah. Well, I'll say like that is charming and it works here because of the format. And when I was saying the things about the fiance's charity events, I wasn't actually joking because in the context of that, it also works. And this is not a diss because we're, we're moving away from talking about what's bad about the format to talking about what's good about the format. Because it does, in many places, sound like the kitchen table conversation she's having about the case, which, you know, I've been in many, like, rooms of people pitching podcasts where it's like, I want to hear the conversation that journalists have about the case that they're working on, that they really have at the bar, at the kitchen table. And I'm like, okay, this is literally the conversation that a journalist is having at their kitchen table about the work. But then they're also like, it's very clear that her fiance is making this. And I literally can just, I went to Kevin in the middle of listening. I was like, I think we need to try to place an ad on this podcast because (laughs) (laughs) like, I want to have our ad be next to this polo event because, because this podcast is about this community. Like she's, she's not just talking about the case. She's talking about the community and she's describing when she describes the people in this case she's also describing the community where she lives like that's a vibe that you get right yeah i mean this whole thing kind of feels like one of those found footage movies you know like where you you're kind of punked? like <laughs> no but but just i don't know it's like it's kind of it's a window into this place and these people And, you know, even like the ads, like add to it, you know, so I I feel like it's very evocative in that way. 
I feel like you guys, where it is, it's like compulsively listenable in that you're just like, oh, what kind of crazy shit's about to happen next? And you know that she's like on the ground and, you know, she's going to know. She does a fair amount of editorializing. And I think there's some choices that get made that I'm interested in hearing what you guys think about. But for the most part, there's so much information in each one of these episodes. And at times it's just like, wait, who is that again? But you do feel like, I don't know, it does feel like you're on the ground with the person who's doing the digging and she lets you know that that's what's going on. But I can sort of picture this thing where she's like, I'm on top of this huge, interesting story. Everybody's going to be interested in. I work for this local newspaper. How do I get this out there? And thinking, you know, podcasts are big. True crime podcasts are huge. This is going to be like this huge, fascinating story. I'll just make a podcast. And so what they've done is sort of make this data dump podcast and it works to a certain extent, but I, it's interesting to hear Kevin say he was listening to it while driving. I was listening to it while driving about two thirds of the tape is absolutely unintelligible when you're yeah. in a car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that includes like when they start slowing people's voices down to yeah. disguise them. Oh yeah. And then they've got pretty strong accents and it's going slow. Yes. And it's just like, what in God's name is going on there? You know what I'm saying? Uh, Buster Murdoch, the one we went to school with, did it, and some of his friends, and I'm just sitting here like, why? You know, it makes no sense. He's never said anything bad about Steven. He's never been around Steven. So I was just, I eventually just gave up, and I was just like, okay, just context clues. Because she doesn't repeat, like, occasionally she'll say, well, so what you heard right there was this. But a lot of times she doesn't. She just keeps on going. Right. And I was like, just for the people in the cars, can you just say... Just to be clear, that dude just said, yeah. I ran into a bridge at 25 miles an hour or something. It's where an editor would help. There's, there's one other problem with the disguised voices in the podcast. And one is that she says, this person doesn't want to be identified. They disguise the voice. And then they tell you it's a woman and who that person is related to. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, okay, so maybe like, don't include those details. We're going to say, but... I will tell you, so this is something that was a phenomenon of this podcast. For first of all, I will say, I listen to all 12 episodes in one listen in one day, which I have what? never done for oh my God. any podcast. We have, so I knew I had to listen to 12 episodes and I was like, oh my. But a reasonably time to the, you know, there's that some that are 15 minutes. some 20, of them are yeah. 40 minutes. Yeah, right. And I not listen to them in one and a half speed. I listened wow. to the whole, because I, I could not stop. And I'm being completely earnest. You got a I, lot done in the kitchen that day. I did, yeah. but I am being earnest. I am not, and I did not hate listen. I mean, maybe I hate listen to the first three because they were just like, I, I feel like I may be being punked a little bit. And that was the joke I made earlier was I was like, is this podcast like pretending like they don't know how to podcast? Because it really felt that way. Because it was, especially with the twitter.com slash Mandy Madney. That thing was so funny. But- um, Do you even know how Twitter works? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But- I it was compelling and I will say what got me was the you know someone doesn't know about this case when they say Alex Murdaugh. And yeah. I was like, fuck yeah. I know how that feels. What did Lester Holt say tonight? I, well, we were more. watching the NBC Nightly News tonight when the charges came down and Lester Holt said, 
prominent South Carolina lawyer, Alex Murdaugh. And I, I screamed at the TV. That's heads one Alec, of a national newscast. Alec Murdoch, you piece of shit. Lester Holt, like you should know that. And I was like, oh my God. Like I have joined the cult of Mandy Matney. Like she, like I, like she's, she's not wrong. Like th- they should fucking. I don't know, man. Half the people she talks to call him Alex or they talk about the Murdaugh <laughs> boys. I was yeah. like. Hold on a second. But that's the whole thing. Half these people are talking from South Carolina are calling them by the wrong thing. So, Toby, this is what I said to Kevin, like, after episode five. I'm like, you know what? I've come to realize I don't know what Fitz News is. I don't know if any of this stuff is true. I don't know. But I believe her. I believe her. Like, I I believe her. And then (laughs) what made me believe her the most was the further you get in and then you get to the the case with the the nanny. Oh, that's horrible. And then she's but she's talking to that lawyer with that case that came to fruition. And it's true. And her reporting was right. Her reporting is completely fucking solid. So like all yeah. the dumb stuff and like completely has veracity to me now. And now I'm fucking yelling at Lester Holt on my TV. So let me ask you this. As oh. journalistic practice <laughs> is devoting basically an entire episode to listening to a lawyer for one side of a legal argument and presenting that as the truth. Is that kosher? You can add up all my cases. I've sued over 175 lawyers and law firms. You can add them all up, and it doesn't equal what's going on here. Because this is top to bottom. This is, you know, judges, lawyers, money, everything. Lying, you name it. We already know that the Murdoch's, uh, the Murdoch's. Murdoch. Tell Jesus, me. now I don't even know what it's I'm like saying. It's like Murdoch. It's Murdoch. Yeah, the, the Murdoch's. Alec Murdoch or whatever the Alec fuck he pronounces Murdoch. Elick Murdoch. <laughs> no, it's Alec. She says she says Elick because of her accent, but it's Alec. It's Alec Murdoch. Go ahead. So like one of the episodes is basically her letting a lawyer for one side of a case, like lay out the case while she's like, Yup, yup, yup. And it drives me crazy because at the end I was yeah. like, I still don't think I totally understand this. It would have been a lot easier if you just told me. But is that kosher? Because it's see, when I was done, I was like, I don't know. This seems a little weird that this yeah, is news. I, let's ignore the fact that he ended up getting charged for all of that, so that it there's, was right. It, it was correct. Well, maybe. I mean, it's just charged. The problem is that yeah, you're right that it could be presented in a different way with a little more of her, either you know, providing context, breaking up, so it's not big chunks of him talking. It would be ideal to, as you say, have other sources on tape telling the same story, backing it up, or if the Murdoch family, you know, if they wanted to, and I think and I believe that they've declined to comment to put it in there. The problem is, it doesn't matter because it was such a great story. <laughs> it's one of the curse of this podcast. Yeah, You're doing it, it wrong, but I want more. <laughs> This case is fucking bonkers, though, because like just when you think you you know it all, you're like, oh, now there's something new. And it's all it's like a little bit true detective. Like, Toby, were you surprised when you found out how far the dog kennels were from the house? Four football fields. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> that was eight. It was eight football fields. I was like, whoa, like how far is eight was, football fields? But I just had this image in my head when I heard that of like this, like it just seemed to me like even darker in terms of the way that the wife and son were killed. Laura, how many times in this podcast? I was just, I just did a panel, right? About ethics and true crime podcasting. Mm-hmm. One of the questions was, 
What is the biggest red flag that you should know when a true crime podcast is unethical? My first answer, I gave, I gave, it was like, what are the three red flags? The first thing I said was, when the podcast plays the entire 911 call. Uh, this podcast has played yeah. so many 911 calls. That's unethical? Well, because so many unethical podcasts right. have done that. Like, oh. like, not like, sort oh, of. You're not saying that, that makes it unethical. You're no, saying, I'm saying that, that it's unethical a red ones flag do that. Okay. that many right. unethical podcasts do that. Okay. Right? So that's, they, okay. They, they play clarifying. sensational. This podcast has used 911 calls. I will say the strongest parts of this podcast have been the way that they have used 911 calls to illustrate body stuff. Body cam stuff. I'm sorry. The horrible audio, the right channel only audio. It was actually the best audio. Of the kid talking, yeah. calling his mom. Like, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to volunteer my services like Please, Mandy and your fiance, send me that audio file. I will center channel it for you so people listening with one headphone can hear it like and not completely go have it go blank. I'll center channel it for you. That is the best fucking audio I've heard in a podcast in a very long time. And look, that's when the series actually starts to the take off. About accident. the fourth or fifth episode. Oh my God. We're, Incredible we're, episode. We're already been, uh, I mean, we're already used to the fact that the audio is all over the place and it's too low. We, you know, we're already there. Now that we kind of have been primed for who the players are, and we already knew about this accident, when we get into all the descriptions that come from videos and and the reports that are now out, it ends up being really rich. Things keep happening in real time. It's information that comes out about past things. Those episodes get really great. And then in the almost in the middle of it, the patriarch of the family gets shot. Oh, no, he doesn't. Or... He seems to get shot. <laughs> he says, or there's he so sets many it up questions about that scene. Yeah. So many questions. First of all, you know, we have the 911 call where we have Alec calling to report that he's found the body of his wife and his son. And he sounds just absolutely like you can sense like the the horror and the panic and everything that's happening to him all at once. But then you also pick up on as she's listening to it. And again, this is sort of like that real time reporting that he's like walking around and he's like walking around and doing things at this point while he's on the phone call. So that was very interesting. But I do think um, what you guys were saying, Kevin and Rebecca, that the strongest tape for me was that tape. And I was like walking along Swayze Park while listening to this and I had I was like, ah, I had to stop and turn it up because I was like, shit, I'm hearing it in one ear. But you almost feel a little voyeuristic because you have this window into such a moment of raw emotion in that tape with the boyfriend whose girlfriend is missing and they can't find her and he's blaming the son, the Murdoch son. But you hear like such an authentic emotion in the moment that I think that is the strength of playing that whole tape. And then, you know, hearing him call his mom and finding out later that, you know, she's a police officer. We them, we hit a bridge in the boat. Connor's fucked up. Connor's messed up bad. We can't find Mallory. Morgan's messed up bad. We can't find Mallory, mom. Hearing all that tape and hearing how obvious it was what was happening and then finding out that the police investigator didn't include any of the real details in the police report you're like holy shit i need those crime writers on leggings because i'm gonna be raved walking to like florida at the point that yeah. i'm at right now you know what i mean hearing that kid say to paul murdoch you think this is funny 
Like my, yeah. yeah, like that was incredible. It was an incredible tape. Even though if I only had my left earphone on, I wouldn't have been able to hear it. <laughs> so Kevin, can you just talk about the detail that hasn't been mentioned yet about the insurance company thing that you pointed out in your notes? Yeah, so after the developments about the homicide and then the self-inflicted, self-financed gunshot to the head, a lot happens in the case about the slip and fall of the housekeeper and nanny. What we had heard before was that in the boating case, and by the way, not to speak ill of the dead, but that kid sounded like a real piece of shit, right? (laughs) Yeah, on Uh, tape. On tape. Yeah. Yeah. She said, I'm going to drive the boat naked and tell everybody, you know, fuck off and then crash into a bridge. That the insurance company wasn't going to cover the Murdochs for that boating accident. And that was all coming to a head at the time in the court system. And certainly we think, you know, we assume that the insurance company is not going to pay because their clients seem to have acted recklessly and probably, you know, it's not something they're going to cover. But what we find out now is that he successfully sued or was part of a lawsuit against his own insurance company to pay. They got like three million dollars already. So the insurance company might be like, fuck you on a second claim. Yes. Right. Which we didn't really know about. Uh, so I don't He's know. He's very if good at insurance fraud. This is why it's such a fascinating case. How does this all play together? I actually thought that the the insurance scam. I thought that that was actually more interesting than the double homicide at the mind. Just it was told so well. Yeah. Anyway, well, there's so many great things about this story that just dry in. We've yet to hear more about Buster Murdoch, who apparently seems to be a looming figure in this. Yeah, and, and, and how he's connected to the Stephen Smith The thing. Stephen yeah. Smith death. I think that that's also looming. Toby, you mentioned something that I really love about the podcast too, which is the framing of every single episode, the open to every single episode is very strong, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the one thing that they, from just like a podcasting standpoint, they get completely right is everyone starts with, I know who killed so-and-so, and I'm going to tell you about this, that, and the other thing. Or, I don't know who killed this, but when I hear about this, it makes my blood boil, you know? And, <laughs> and so it's like, you get this like sort of preview about what's coming, and it's very effective, you know, partly because it's not conventionally organized, I would say. So I think having these cues at the beginning are helpful, they bounce around between stories like crazy. It's like, okay, now we're going to talk about Steve, you know, how Steve died. Now we're going to talk about the boat crash. Now we're going to talk about the double homicide. Now we're back to Steve. Is that better than like mixing all of those characters in one episode? No, I mean, I think I... I like it. I honestly like the back and forth. Yeah. I think it's fine. It's just sort of unconventional. I can't imagine what it would have been like to start at the beginning and just listen to every week, like week after week, like binging it. Like it was only like 40 minutes later, I'd be back on whatever I just left off. If you were waiting like three weeks in between some of these things, it was probably a slightly different situation. I mean, I don't mean to be overly critical. I mean, there's just, you know, there's just so much information in each one of these episodes. It's pretty wild. Well, listen, I'm really tired because doing a true crime review podcast is exhausting. So I think yeah. we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the Murdoch Murders podcast? Or Larv- have a mimosa. <laughs> listen, we're revolutionizing journalism here. Uh, Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the Murdoch Murders podcast? This is very different than 
pretty much everything else we review. And I think many of our listeners might be surprised, A, that we're reviewing it, and B, at the level of discourse that we've had around it. Oh, so, no. Laura, On Facebook, they're clamoring for us to talk about this. I think, yeah, they, they are all say the same it. thing. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the Murdoch murders? Yeah, so this is this is interesting. I'm going to say, Rebecca, just a quick aside before I do my review. Thank God you have those leggings on so that now that you're so exhausted, you can take a good relaxing little <laughs> sleep. They're very buttery. A little rest. You can put your feet up. Um, so this podcast is, is, is like, when I was listening to it, I was like, oh my God, because I was getting frustrated with like the audio levels were going up and down and I had to keep adjusting and like... I was getting frustrated with like hearing about the excellent fiance all the time. I'm like, can he really be that excellent? Um, no, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> then the thing is, this is the hard thing about this podcast is that the production is all over the place. The narrative structure is not like, you know, when we review podcasts, we would like rip something like this apart. However, I am so freaking fascinated by this Murdoch case and there are so many tentacles to this case and so many places that this case goes. And this podcast, because she's the local reporter on the ground who's been reporting on this for two years, has all the information. So if you are really interested in this case and you want to listen to the entire 911 call, interviews with people, and know sort of the story of how everybody's connected – this is something that you're going to listen to. But you have to sort of temper that with the feeling of listening to it and being extremely frustrated by certain parts of the production. But I feel like she's very earnest and I feel like she's a good reporter and I feel like she's getting good material. So on that regard, I would say thumbs up on production. I mean, I think she probably even knows that. So I don't need to go there. Toby Ball. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a hard one in some ways because, you know, in the last month we've reviewed, I think, two of the strongest podcasts, both in terms of reporting and, you know, just even moving aside, just like sound and how it sounds, but just editorially, like just great editorial choices and the way the story is told and just really making the most of the podcast medium in a way that this this one doesn't even try, right? I mean, it's, it's not, there's nothing about podcasting that this thing takes advantage of. It's just, it's just a way to get the story out to a bunch of people. I mean, she's basically just talking and there's some tape. At the same time, like as we've been saying the whole time, it's like, it's a fascinating case. She's all over it. I'll give it a thumbs up. There's just no craft to it, right? There's no craft. It's all reporting. It's all reporting and having obtained audio that's very revealing. So it's just putting those two things together in about as simple a format as possible. But the stuff that she's got is amazing. So thumbs up. I think it is sort of compulsively listenable. I was going to say guilty pleasure, but that's that's just not right. I, I don't feel like it's a guilty pleasure because I think the, the journalism is really strong. And I think guilty pleasure is, is doing that a disservice. So I'll give it a thumbs up. I mean, it's very, very different, but the case is, is just wild and she's, you know, she's got the goods on it. Kevin Flynn. Uh, this is the most cringeworthy, bingeworthy podcast ever made. Oh, my heart is exploding. The, the production values are, you said, horrible, but the reporting is so compelling. The information is ahead of everybody else's and the story just keeps taking these twists and turns that it's just in 
possible to not want to know what's next. We've reviewed this podcast. We're essentially done with it. I want to hear the next episode, even though I'm no longer obligated to listen to it, right? I think that this podcast could have shared a lot of its DNA with something like Undisclosed, which is a very sort of straightforward, we're talking about this investigation, but in addition to, you know, using nice mics and all sorts of nice audio tricks, there's a little bit of music in the background, a little higher production value, right? If you do, if you have a news website, uh, the news might be great, but if the website itself looks bad and doesn't work, that's a problem. You might have a great newspaper, but if the ink is all smudged and the paper rips when you pick it up, that's not a good thing. Toby's right. There's not a lot of craft to this. And I think that they know that. And I guess it's not too late to take some of the ad money and have somebody remaster. No, don't do it. This, <laughs> how about just balance the level so the, it's Did the same as a... Did you left-right channel okay. thing. <laughs> All right. Well, well, whatever. I think it continued. Actually, the last podcast, the production value was probably the best it, it has been. It's moving along. We normally would have really slayed this if it had been done by anybody else besides a local reporter admittedly doing this on a laptop at their kitchen table with their fiance, who's not an audio engineer. But it's just something that I think you have to hear. And so that's why I can't believe it, but I'm saying thumbs up. Okay, so I think a lot of people in our Facebook group are going to be shocked that we're giving this four thumbs up. I'm giving the Murdoch murders a huge fucking thumbs up. And here's why. It is objectively a one and subjectively a 10, right? So this is the first podcast I have listened to where in the 10 minutes into episode one, I'm like, this is going to be a Netflix series. And the Netflix series is not going to be about the case. The Netflix series is going to be about the podcaster covering the case. And it is going to be a great Netflix series because basically mm-hmm. it's going to be like Bradley Jackson on the morning show, except it's actually going to be good and yeah. fleshed out and awesome. And oh, by the way, fuck that guy for saying that thing about her in court. Yeah. That lawyer, oh my that fucking sexist guy. thing. Before I forget, fuck that guy. Oh yeah, because basically we have here a local reporter who had like some probably shitty, low-paying job at some Gannett or Hearst no, paper it or whatever. It was a soulless corporation. Yeah, whatever, Gannett or whatever. And then you know, and she got another job at like some other low-paying local outlet, but that she enjoys. I don't actually think that she has listened to many podcasts, nor do I think her fiance has. It is like. They are in 2014 starting a podcast, except it's 2021. And that is, for lack of a better word, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound condescending. I don't mean it that way. It's adorable. And I feel like I'm being punked. I thought when I was listening to the beginning of this podcast, I'm like, am I being punked? But then I'm like, no, this is absurd to the level where it's high art, but I am learning a lot. I learned so much about this case in this horribly produced podcast. I cannot remember a podcast where I have learned so much about a real-time news event. I mean, I've learned more about this than I've learned like from the daily about a real-time news event. I honestly can say that. Like, I want to advertise in this podcast. I want to go to her fiance's polo charity events. I want to sign up for that like lunch that you can go to with them. I want to watch the Netflix series. 
I want to know what's happening in this case. I want to yell at Lester Holt. Um, you did already. The help that I want to give them, honestly, is the left channel, right channel stuff. I don't care if the podcast remains bad production-wise, except for that one thing. Um, I have to give the Murdoch murders a thumbs up, despite the fact that it is objectively terrible, because in every other regard, uh, I got to say it's great. It's awful, but great. Big thumbs up for me for the Murdoch murders. What else can I say? Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. U.S. Marshals conducted a recent sweep of registered sex offenders in Pennsylvania. And since it was in Scranton, they dubbed it Operation Dunder Mifflin. Officials admitted the name is a nod to the office, the famous sitcom set in their town. The Marshals were verifying the addresses of the offenders, and after checking more than 200 names, they found 13 were not properly registered. The marshals did not stop by the offices of the best paper supply company in northern Pennsylvania. If they had, we're sure they'd find Kelly stalking Ryan, Stanley doing a crossword, Pam making copies, Jim pranking Dwight, and Michael blurting, that's what she said. Panel, pairing the city with the TV show is a great tie-in. What's the next law enforcement operation to do this? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, well, my town is often compared to this town, so I'm going to go with the Stars Hollow Sweep. Yes. Um, mm. And there's a lot to sweep up there. I mean, it could be drugs. It could be donuts. I don't know. Toby Ball, what about you? Drugs or donuts? Um, <laughs> they go together, uh, drugs and Operation donuts. Operation Land of the Lost uh, Slee Stack uh, infestation. Very uh, nice. Kevin Flynn, what about you? Uh, they're going to Miami for Operation Golden Girls. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's an elderly sex trafficking ring. Sounds about right. Mm. Rose is at it again. All right, Laura Bricker, Blanche. it is time to wrap up the show. But before we go, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> We do have a cat, finally. We haven't had a cat in recent weeks. And this wasn't even nominated, but it was a picture that was posted in the Brichter scale by our friend Jennifer Tate. And so this is Warrior Queen Eleanor, a.k.a. Princess Sassy Pants, and she is just all over it. And this is what she's doing instead of rage walking. And she's laying on the top of the cat tower, just kind of has her legs like hanging over the side. And I think we've all felt like that at some point in the week. So... 
Rock on, Warrior Queen Eleanor. And she is the cat of the week. Very nice. Now, people want to submit their cats or dogs or animals of any kind, llamas, emus, again, dogs. Of course, they can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com. But if they want to submit them directly to you, Laura, on Twitter, how can they reach you there? Uh, they can find me at Lara Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and perhaps talk about baseball or basketball or other sports. How can they find you on Twitter? Baseball. I know. Um, that's a Kevin thing. <laughs> yeah, at, at Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and say, hey, Kevin, that's a really nice plaid shirt. And you're my favorite crime writer. How can they find you on Twitter? I'm at twitter.com slash Kevin <laughs> P. Flynn. Wait, well, I'm sorry. I forgot. It's HTTP colon s s no s that's secure it's open i think maybe you can use the s but try first h t t p or is it t p p (laughs) colon slash slash www backslash backslash dot twitter dot com slash kevin p flynn and of course you can find me at reb lavoy on twitter and instagram you can also follow the show on twitter at crime writers on and i encourage you to join our incredible community and our official crime writers on facebook discussion group we also have a regular old facebook page but just go there to find the group support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media you'll get the crime writers on after show married with podcast laura bricker's leave it to bricker podcast and toby ball's deep dive book club podcast plus leave a five-star review for this podcast please unless you're going to be mean haters and talk about my laugh our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our line editor is the very handsome olivia burdett the executive producer of this fine program is my awesome husband kevin flynn and fiance this show was recorded in the oak loft above the bodega in bay st louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in our new hampshire basement which we will soon abandon so that we can record our podcast at the kitchen table yeah on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you later so there's like this new little like 20 year old guy at public access and he's doing a halloween special where he's a ghost terrorizing the town and like nobody wanted to participate in his little show and i'm like whatever i'll do it so he's like well the police aren't there so can you be the cat detective who apprehends (laughs) the ghost (laughs) so today we filmed our action sequence (laughs) i drove like five miles an hour on my scooter and then i took off my helmet and i said i heard you need a ghost detective (laughs) she's the the brazos of public access members save on meeting up with friends save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups that's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier plus members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods plus when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship start a show together with your included paramount plus subscription walmart plus members save on this plus so much more start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com paramount plus a central plan only separate registration required see walmart plus terms and conditions